0: Randy. So, does alcohol make you Randy? Yeah, I think it can. You know, depending <laughs> on where you live, I think you use the it. Term just makes me Mandy.
1: <laughs> Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. I'm like, oh, you don't need that penis. I just need your heart to pump. (laughs) Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you and the ones you love to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. This podcast is co-hosted by Dr. Betsy Cairo or Dr. B. Like my grandmother always said, everything in moderation, Mm -hmm. including moderation. But anyway. (laughs) And Mandy Johnson. Dr. B has her doctorate in human reproduction and is a board certified reproductive biologist. She is also a certified sexuality educator with supervisory standing and over 20 years experience teaching at the graduate and undergraduate level. She is the owner of the only commercial cryobank in Colorado and is the executive director of the nonprofit Look Both Ways. Her nonprofit specializes in reproductive health education. Mandy Johnson is a high school family and consumer science teacher with more than 15 years experience and a master's degree in education. If you don't know your boundaries before you start drinking it's really easy for them to be crossed because you don't even know where they are. She is also a certified sexuality educator and is treasurer on the board of Look Both Ways. The two have been friends for many years and are passionate about changing the way we educate our youth about their reproductive health. Hey, Mandy. What's up, Betsy?
0: Not much. But it's nice to be back. Just you and me. Yeah. Right? Real So, nice. new episode. Today, we're going to talk about the myths of alcohol and sex. Whiskey dick? Yeah. Whiskey dick. That's awesome. what we're going to talk about. Love to hear it. Okay. There are a lot of things about alcohol that are okay, and there are some things about alcohol and sex that are not. And we're going to go through those kind of one by one today. That sounds great. Hey, guys. Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality. All right, so to start off, though, we're going to talk about alcohol and its effect on people with vaginas. Great, sounds okay. perfect. So, we know that alcohol can increase desire. Ooh, yes, it can. You get a little bit feeling hot and heavy and yeah. a little horny when you drink some. Yeah, a little randy. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that the term, randy? Randy. Yeah. So, if we, I mean, we... For,
2: your, for your age, people, that's the word.
0: <laughs> For a bite. Oh, my God. We just threw some ageism in there. I'm not sure alcohol and, you know. I'm, I'm just not sure <laughs>
2: that kids today use the word Randy.
0: Evidently, uh, it's uh, only used for people over the age of 60. So.
2: It's not a term I hear teenagers use, like, oh, here's ever. The pro-
0: here's the thing, though, see. I've been watching a lot of BBC TV. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And That's where you got that. That's where I get it. Randy. So, does alcohol make you Randy? Yeah, I think it can, you know, depending <laughs> on where you live. I think you used it. It just makes me Mandy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Randy, Mandy. Is that what we're getting at? Okay, good. Now that we've got that covered, well, our listeners got a whole vocabulary education right now. So, anyway, the important thing about it increasing sexual desire, it also decreases your thought process of like maybe consent, right? Right. So that would probably be in the forefront, right? Increase the sexual desire, but you might take on a riskier behavior that you wouldn't have.
2: Right, you might have sex with somebody you wouldn't normally have
0: sex with or not use condoms when you normally would. Exactly. Absolutely. So increase sexual desire, decrease cognitive ability to maybe make good choices or even give consent, right? Yes. And we're going to, later on, we'll talk about the difference between, you know, intoxicated and incoherent. Yes. So let's say you are not too intoxicated to make decisions. You made a good decision, let's say, and you're still practicing safe sex and all that. Some things physiologically can happen to your body that might decrease pleasure. Well, that's too bad because you're real, real horny and randy, right? (laughs) Yes, you are. Right. For women, you know, because we all have the same hormones, estrogen, testosterone, and same with people with penises. And so for women, alcohol actually increases their testosterone. And there's some thought behind that by them thinking, well, this is why women might become more uh, aggressive or... Like you said, hornier and wanting wanting to have mm-hmm. sex more, so more initiating, more in that sexually regard. aggressive. And yes, mm-hmm. but then like you know, we were talking about, it lowers blood flow to the genital area. It lowers the ability to lubricate, so sex might be more painful or you might require more lubricant. It also has more of a numbing effect on the clitoral region because it's a neuro uh, central nervous system depressant. Mm-hmm. So
2: so you might not all, be able to reach orgasm as easily or at all.
0: Exactly, and so think about that you are really wanting to have sex and then it's really disappointing sex that is one thing that can happen for people with vaginas Um, but for men uh it's the opposite it lowers testosterone and in that case what you have is it may be harder to get an erection it can cause sexual dysfunction. It's not that maybe it lowers their libido. It doesn't do that. But it lowers their ability to perform. So we've all heard the expression whiskey dick. That's what we talked about earlier. And I think it was, uh, there was a comedian out there that said, you know, if you're too drunk to fish, (laughs) that's pretty drunk. And so we kind of bring that over to the sex world. Like, if you're too drunk, then maybe, you know, you should make some different choices. But why does that happen? Why do men get... Uh, erectile dysfunction.
2: Alcohol can increase angiotensin, yep. um, which is leaked to erectile dysfunction in males. And so it can cause the inability to either get an erection or to maintain that erection long enough to have intercourse.
0: Right. Because we know that erection is increased blood flow, decreased venous return to the penis and alcohol will Interfere with the increased blood flow to the penis. And as
2: I tell my students, when there are problems in the body and and blood flow can't go where it needs to go, the first thing to go is going to be your reproductive system because yeah. it's not important for your survival.
0: No, just for survival of the species, but yes. not for your survival. Yeah, nature's really good about protecting yourself yes. like that, right? right? I'm like, That's- oh, you don't need that penis. I just need your heart to pump. <laughs> Yeah, that's why, you know, when we talk about mental health, we talk about canary in the coal mine where if men start to get erectile dysfunction, but everything else is cool, they, look, they the first thing they now need to look at is cardiac function. Mm-hmm. So, good sideway point there. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Now, with alcohol, though, so it, de- it decreases blood flow to the penis, increases angiotensin release, and it depresses the central nervous system, just like in uh, women or people with vaginas. And so, you're saying, well, gee, can I go to dinner on a date and have one or two drinks and still have great sex? I think the answer is yes. It is yes. So like my grandmother always said, everything in moderation, mm-hmm. including moderation. But anyway, <laughs> she she was a wonderful person. <laughs> Anyhow, so the point is, is that a little bit of something is fine, but necessarily not a lot of something is great. Right. And I,
2: I like the idea that sometimes... It might not even just be the alcohol that's lowering your inhibitions. It's the idea that the alcohol is going to lower your inhibitions that lowers your inhibitions. It's the idea going in like, well, I'm going to drink tonight so that I can lower my inhibitions and have sex. See, and so and you go a- in there thinking you're going to have sex. And and that might be part of what made you horny is that kind of like we were talking with the planned sex stuff. Like when you know that's that you're anticipating it all day, I'm going to go out and get drinking tonight. and Get laid. Get laid. Then, then you know, you might be... You might be making yourself horny throughout the day just thinking about the fact that that's what you're going to do tonight as well.
0: And that, oh man, you brought up a really good point because (laughs) there's another layer to that thought process. And one of them is because we live sort of in a sex negative culture, right? Mm -hmm. And women aren't allowed to be like wanting sex or they're not allowed to be the pursuer of it. So they hide behind the concept that, oh, I was drunk yep and so and then there's this other layer as like if you have to be impaired whether it's alcohol or some other mind altering substance just to be sexual with somebody there's probably maybe something deeper going on for sure something and to so, be looked at there so maybe that's the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. right another one a lot of canaries in there there are a lot of canaries in there <laughs> not many coal mines left though <laughs> That's a whole nother environment, whole nother thing. (laughs) Yeah. So, there's this other thing about alcohol that people talk about, and they talk about sexual attractiveness, right? Where we talking about beer goggles? We are. We're talking about (laughs) beer goggles, where everything looks really good when you're. You just have a little bit more to drink, and yeah. that guy suddenly turned hot. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't before. No. But he yeah. is now. I know. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this terrible thing called coyote date. Oh, tell me about coyote date. This oh, my gosh, I've See, never heard this of. Is, this is – I got hey, to learn something today. This is terrible, though. Coyote date is when you wake up in the morning, and you'd rather gnaw off your arm than wake up your partner. <laughs> When you sort of wake up and realize
2: you slept with a dog,
0: yeah, you're like no, yeah, you're like no. But remember, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So, or
2: in the eye of the beer glass,
0: beer goggles. <laughs> have you ever tried beer goggles? I have not. I haven't either. No. Yeah, some people say it doesn't really affect them. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're I don't designed know. in those D.A.R.E. Yeah. Programs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: I've never. I've never tried those or, or used them in classes or anything, but. Yeah. Interesting, interesting to see. Huh. But I think I've used beer goggles in the natural way, perhaps once or twice in my life.
0: Okay. <laughs> True <Two laughs> confessions right here. Right here. You heard it here first. Good. And then here's something really important is if you're going to go out drinking, you really shouldn't pace yourself with your group, right? Because yeah. everybody processes alcohol Differently, absolutely, yeah. Based
2: sometimes. on age, based on tolerance and experience, based on weight, based on anything else that's whether in your not, system.
0: Whether or not you've eaten. Oh yeah, if you're polypharmacy, yeah, yeah, that's not good. Whether or not you've eaten. Yes. Um, whether or not you know, uh, you probably know this. Diabetics don't it doesn't take doesn't, as much yes. for sure. And so they always laugh. Of the at sugar what a cheap processing. Drunk I am. right. <laughs> your cheap date. I yeah, am. yeah. Although I have I have a story about um one one of my first dates with Bill my husband mm-hmm. so we went to um, an Asian food place and we were having hot tea before dinner and it was jasmine tea and I found myself getting incredibly loopy like ridiculous loopy and I was laughing hysterically and almost falling out of my chair and I was like oh my you know and I didn't know this guy I because this was like first second, third day like and right. and he's looking across the table at me and he's sniffing his tea <laughs> he puts his tea down he reaches across he we're drinking from the same teapot right? right he's smelling my tea and and he puts it down and he's looking at me and I go there's something in the tea there's something in the tea and he's like no I don't, I don't think so and I said I I can barely I'm like stoned out of my gourd here you know <laughs> and he's like Okay. And you want to go home? And I'm like, well, no, I'm just going to stop drinking the tea. This is (laughs) jasmine tea, right? So I come to find out years later, I'm allergic to it. And that's one of the reactions. If you're allergic to jasmine tea, that's one of the reactions. And he's like, I wish that happened to me. because He's watching me and he's like, I wish my tea was doing this, and it was quite the scene. Oh, that's and it didn't great. even, no alcohol involved at all. Right, right. So maybe that's just a little tidbit of knowledge that someone could use. Yeah, just yeah. be careful with jasmine tea. Cause. Yeah, like if you're getting looped on jasmine tea, you're a cheap date for sure, so, but you might be allergic to
2: interesting, it. Interesting, because a similar thing happened to me one time eating Indian food. Oh. And, and I don't know, I don't I don't remember honestly if I was drinking jasmine tea or not, but but I went to lunch with a friend at an Indian restaurant and ate a bunch of food from the buffet and both of us left stoned. Yeah. I mean and I was like, what was in that food? Oh my god. Had to go back to work. <laughs> and I was yeah. So, yeah. so He had to carry an allergic the restaurant. to something from yeah. there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So I don't
2: drink tea anymore. Any <laughs> anymore <we
0: eat. laughs>
2: Betsy abstains from jasmine tea. Yeah, for sure. Oh, it was <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a really fond memory. Well, there you go. But so bringing us full circle back to the point that your body may not metabolize alcohol the same. I know it's like a loose correlation, but the point is, is that you don't really know how you're going to react. Yeah. And then here's something else that we all have to keep track of, which is unfortunate, but. Never leave your drink unattended.
2: Absolutely not. There's way too much scary date rape drugs and mm-hmm. things that people can do to your drinks to to be trusting a drink sitting on a table.
0: I know, and so here we are, alcohol and sex, right? So if alcohol already does all these things, and it's just so sad that we now have people slipping roofies into your drink to make it even worse for you. Which, of course, then leads us to the next thing. Of Can can we just take a moment and say
2: that, in general, alcohol is the number one date rape drug, even outside of roofies? Because you can get somebody way too drunk and then get them incapacitated, which is what we're about to talk about. So it doesn't even have to be roofied. You just... If, if you have a date that's pushing alcohol on you and saying, no, drink this, drink this, rather, rather than offering you and being OK if you say no, know that that's kind of a warning sign in and of itself. If you're being pushed into drinking or using drugs, because that is definitely its own way of uh, getting somebody to be incapacitated enough to, right. to potentially sexually assault them.
0: Unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. So consent is, is verbal. Like some people say you can have nonverbal consent for For sexual activity. I'm not sure about that anymore. I think consent should be verbal. I think it should be, yes, I would like to do this. And I think verbal consent is the safest
2: way to proceed.
0: It is. Just one step below written contract. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So but verbal consent, you know, people say, well nonverbal consent can be present too. Well, what would you consider nonverbal consent?
2: I would consider. I mean, if, if for me, if I would, if I was thinking in terms of nonverbal consent, it would be enthusiastic engagement in the activities that are occurring. Okay. However, how do you go from one activity to the next? Yeah. Cause without he, some kind of, you know. Yeah. But I suppose, like nonverbally, if if a hand moves somewhere and it's not wanted there, you might slap it away nonverbally. If a hand moves somewhere and you like it, you could pat the hand or something you know yeah. like there are nonverbal ways of of saying yeah i am gonna like this or don't even go there but i do i would agree with you that i f- I feel like personally verbal consent and non-consent is a much clearer
0: way especially if you're this. intoxicated
2: especially if you're intoxicated
0: and i'm not talking like jasmine t loopy i'm talking <laughs> like you know <laughs> you've just you've got you know you got a, like, little yeah, a little buzz going. Yeah, a little buzz going. Yeah, feeling, feeling, feeling kind of good. Feeling randy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So what is the difference then between intoxication and incapacitation? I think a really
2: easy one would be, can you understand their words? And can they walk on their own? If they, like, everybody who gets drunk and loopy slurs their speech a little bit, but you can usually understand what they're trying to say. That you can understand their words. But if they, and yeah. they can't make words happen, yeah. that's, that's past intoxication and into incoherency. Right. And if you can't stand up and walk by yourself, like somebody who's drunk might stumble a little and might be, you know, woozy on their feet. Um, but but somebody who's incapacitated has their friends holding them up because they can't even move their legs on their own, right? And I feel like those are some some decent tells between drunk versus incapacitated. And incapacitated means they cannot give consent. That is past past the point of being able to give consent and, and if you have sex with somebody who's incapacitated there is no consent and it could always be seen as sexual assault from the person who's incapacitated if they wanted it to be because, because it is there's no consent being able to give
0: right there, exactly and so if you're completely passed out which we have you know court cases based on that mm-hmm. it's a, it's assault But what is so sad about all of that is if there are court cases based on that, and there are, Mm -hmm. um, they'll say, well, why did you get so drunk? Right. And sometimes it's not you that
2: got you so drunk. Sometimes also you're not aware of the physiological state. I mean, like you're not aware of how much you are able to drink. Like that might be the first time you drank that much and you didn't know that that's how it was going to react for you. You know, right. There's a lots of different reasons why yeah. you might get that drunk and not have purposely gotten that drunk.
0: So, yeah, and that's a whole nother just topic of discussion, right, with respect to um, drinking and consent and sexual activity. So the the point is, is that it really doesn't matter that you drank. And even if you knowingly drank that much and if you even knowingly knew that you were that drunk, you still need to It's still sexual assault. Yeah, you you haven't given up your right for consent. Yeah.
2: It's it's no different than that it doesn't matter what you're wearing. You're not saying yes to sex just because you have a short skirt on. You're not saying yes (laughs) to sex just because you're drunk. You're not saying yes to sex just because you danced really close with somebody while you were drunk wearing a short skirt. (laughs)
0: Yes. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, (laughs) that was a good one. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill with respect to alcohol and sex, but I think, again... It's not, there's so many flags here. If you have to be intoxicated to have sex, it's a problem. If you, you know, want to drink and have sex, that's fine. But understand it could definitely, you know, it lowers your inhibition, but also decreases your performance. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a trade-off. Yes. And so you have to decide, well, what, what is it that you want for the evening? And then, I guess, make your assessment from yes. there.
2: And as I try to tell my students, have your boundaries set before you go into any of those situations. Know what you want, what you don't want, things that you'd be willing to do, things that you aren't willing to do. And if you know those when you're sober, I'm not saying it's a perfect system or that you won't forget some of those when you drink, but if you know what your boundaries are before you start drinking, at least you're more likely to stick to them. If you don't know your boundaries before you start drinking, it's really easy for them to be crossed because you don't even know where they are. But if you know what your boundaries are, you at least have a, a basis Even before you're drinking, yeah, Sort of a
0: subconscious boundary setting. Yeah. And so there
2: will be some part of your brain saying, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You might ignore it because of the the drinking or whatever, but you, you know, if you don't have boundaries set, there will be nothing in your brain letting you know that that's not something you're wanting to do the same right. way. So that's right. that's just something I always tell my students is you got to know your boundaries ahead of time.
0: Right. And that's why I really feel like, yes, there are some things that we can talk about with respect to nonverbal consent. But mostly, I think consent should be verbal. I think so, too. And maybe that's and a in the moment. Yes. Uh, yeah, I consented
2: last night. That doesn't mean anything about today. Right. But consent has to be moment to moment, act to act. And it can be withdrawn at Any, any time. time. Even yep. in the middle of sex.
0: Yep. So just remember, if you're too drunk to fish, maybe you should just get a new put Uber your pole home. away. Put the pole away.
2: <laughs> this podcast was created to promote "Look Both Ways" and the textbook written by Dr. Cairo. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado with a mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens. Textbooks used at schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools interested in piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we're always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, getting a textbook donated to you, or to make a donation, please visit lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is Mandy Johnson.
0: And Dr. B. Wishing you well. Be sure and catch all our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. I do remember the one time when we were recording in the studio, and I go, "Hey, Mandy," and you go, "Uh, hey." <laughs> <laughs> and I go, "It's like we haven't known each other for Do you remember that? I'm I looking we... right at you, and I'm like, <laughs> "Betsy."